They may sound nuts, but so do the Wright brothers. Now, here's Flieger and Briggs. Welcome into an all-new episode of It's Just Sports here on the 12-Ounce Sports Network. Check out all the greatness holding it together over at 12 Ounce Sports at 12OZ Sports on Twitter and 12OunceSportsNetwork.com. And, of course, of course, you can follow more of this nonsense, all you can handle, at Asylum Football on Twitter, AsylumFantasyFootball.com. And if you want to be a part of the show, it's just sports, 123 at gmail.com. Rick, I said the email address without stuttering. You're welcome. Quite frankly, I'm stunned. Well, you should be. <laughs> I mean, I really am. But we are practicing safe broadcasting from Studio A and Studio B. I am Briggs. That is Mr. Flieger that his golden pipes just graced you with. And welcome to It's Just Sports on 12-Ounce Sports Radio. Rick, starting to get used to not having any sports around. I mean, it's not something that I am liking, but I'm almost numb to the fact now. Yeah, I'm not. I still whine and kvetch and carry on and complain all the time, as has been well documented the last couple of weeks. The the moment of self-discovery where I found out I have no other interests. Thank God, this week weekend at least, this upcoming weekend, should be a little better. I'm sure it was on too late for you, Rick, last night, but the last dance, the the Chicago Bulls, Michael Jordan documentary airing on ESPN. Look, you need to talk to your kids, Rick, and figure out that DVR thing or how an app works. And I'm going to require this. This is going to be required viewing for you. Episodes one and two are done. There's going to be two a week through ten episodes. Absolutely great television. I wonder, I do ask myself, is it going to be, would it be this good if the NHL, NBA playoffs were going on? I'm just coming off the Masters Major League Baseball. I don't know if it's on, I'm grading on a sliding scale here, but finally had some appointment TV on Sunday. And then we, we have the draft, which for the first time in my life and, and listeners to this show for, from past iterations, we stunned to hear me say I'm holding my breath excited for the draft Thursday, Friday, Saturday, have, uh, have the last dance coming back Sunday, actually have a little bit of something to look forward to this upcoming weekend. So I can only assume about midday Wednesday, the Pennsylvania governor is going to ban satellite television and it's all going to go away. Yeah, we do have a few things to look forward to, and I'm really looking forward to before I get into looking forward to this remote draft, you would think a billion-dollar machine like the NFL, you know, look, you work from home. Right. I've, I've worked from home. We do the show from our homes with regular schlep internet. And now they try to dry run, and, of course, they have, no, they have all kinds of connection and technical problems. <laughs> How hard is it to connect a few computers up? I mean, let's be real. And it it just amazes me. But get that aside, I am actually excited with the fact if they keep the surprise. I just don't want to see the guy getting a phone call 10 minutes before the pick's made. I just love to be able to see whoever, Cincinnati, hit that button and make their pick, and then it comes through and they announce it. Before anybody else knows it, it's almost real time. That's suspense, and that would be must-see TV, to be honest with you. 
Yeah, I I think this almost can't fail. Number one, because we're just all so hungry for anything tangible like this, right, from a sports-wise. Right. You know, we're watching old games. We're talking about what-ifs, which I'm sure we'll do plenty of later in the show. This is something tangible, something real-time, something that eventually will mean something. Hopefully it's in September. <laughs> we'll We'll find out about that. So, number one, it's almost a can't miss. But you also add in the fact that for someone like me who doesn't particularly care for the draft generally, it's not that I don't care for the draft. I don't care for the people who analyze the draft, quite frankly, most of whom on Twitter, most of whom we used to be friendly with, and I've insulted them all so much. We're not not so much to this point. But so you kind of have you have the built-in – curiosity as it is you have the just sort of being interesting being remote it's going to be something new and it's going to be something different so if it goes well it's going to be great for someone like me if it goes horribly wrong it's going to be even better I I would love nothing more than for Cincinnati to stand up there ready to make their pick and their Skype freezes like you just like you froze every eight seconds two episodes ago and Washington jumps in and takes Joe Burrow because he's claiming now, I don't think he'd actually hold him to it. What I'm hoping for is something like that happens and somebody misses their clock, misses their time a la Mike Tice style because of some technical glitch and just throws this whole thing into chaos. It's win-win. If it goes awfully, it's awesome. And if it goes great, it's going to be great. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting, I think. And, you know, we're going to touch on um, – you brought up a great point with – the TV or the just the, the whole draft analysts. And, you know, we're going to hit on that here in a little bit. Um, but, no, it, it would be great just to see that Cincinnati wants Joe Burrows, but somehow the pick for somebody else comes in <laughs> and, they, and they mark down and they, whoa, whoa, time out. No, I'm sorry. The Redskins have Joe Burrow. I'm sorry. Somebody yeah. hits a wrong button. I mean, uh, th- this could yeah, be disastrous. It be, it, yeah, it would be classic. Uh, it really would. This would be great. But, um, I hope we see, like you see in your fantasy draft, the the jackass who struts confidently up to make his pick in the sixth round as somebody who was taken fourth overall. I mean, all this stuff is in play right now. <laughs> I can't wait. It probably won't happen. But, God, just the the – chance it could happen makes this even more watchable than it already was going to be. Oh, no doubt about that. And yeah, the the last dance, that is certainly must-see TV. There's no doubt about that. It is just fascinating. The, the, the mental, I mean, you know, take away the physical gifts, which you can't, obviously, with, with Michael Jordan. But the refusal to lead to lose at any cost i mean he did not he willed teams to win and you know the the thing where he walks in and there's you know lines of coke on the left and weed on the right (laughs) and women in the back quarters and he turns around and leaves you know as a whatever 23 24 year old guy basically then and there yeah, that took that took that team on his shoulders and became 
the leader and the man of the Chicago Bulls. Yeah, and and the the thing I walked away from first of all the the, the Jerry Krause thing was awesome. Just the, the disrespect for that man, and to have the kind of clout to just openly disrespect your boss, I I, I like just because that's my nature, right? But but even watching this, and my daughter thankfully sat down and watched it with me yesterday, and looking at kind of that first playoff series, he was in with with Boston, where they leave Boston down 0-2, but he scored 49 and 63 in those two games. Again, you talk about. You know, yes, he had to have the horses around him, but he didn't have to have the horses he had necessarily. That pathetic team he had in the mid '80s when he was young, and he goes out and, in losing effort, scores over a hundred points, a hundred and ten points in two games. It's just, you know, that was kind of before my time. I came on at the peak. You know what I mean? In nine eighty nine, ninety, ninety one, when I kind of got old enough and really became a sports fan and followed it. So that was interesting to me to see that going back further a little bit before before my time and the one thing I knew is is a fan and everybody my age was a fan coming up through high school you never saw nowadays we are so used to with social media with the internet and they all have their radio their local radio show and they all do this and they all do that you knew nothing until right now about Michael Jordan's thoughts on anything going on in the background, anything outside of the game. That's what I'm most excited about. This this is this guy's in, in my lifetime, you know, the single greatest, most dominant athlete I've ever seen. You know, somebody your age or maybe guys, you know, going back further. But but for me, this is the guy. And I had no insight to who he is. Meanwhile, I know every time Tom Brady flosses his teeth. It kind of takes some of the mystique away from it. The mystique with Michael Jordan getting to peek behind the curtain is just that, that's what re, the timing of it's perfect. Number one, but but really, I'd, I'd I think I'd have been this excited either way, getting to see this uh, behind the curtain with with what someone I considered a hero when I was in high school. Yeah, and, and well, you should. I mean, he was he was a perfect example. But you hit on another subject, like today with with today's social media. The mystique of these players are not only is the mystique gone, Rick. It is with social media, with with Twitter, Facebook, whatever. I don't know them all, but it's just instant trollville where they just want all they want to do is disparage someone, tear them down, and find anything, disagree. And that's, that's one thing we're going to get to with this, this analyst thing that we, when we hit on it. Anything to be negative. Right. Whereas before it was, like you said, you know, you, you watched the games. You saw what Michael Jordan did on the basketball court. And that was it. Right. Simple as that. Um, whoever, you know, you can pick any sports figure. But, you know, the Krause thing, I really get what you're saying about how you like the open disrespect and disregard. But it couldn't have happened to anybody more deserving than Krause. Well, yeah. You know what I'm saying? You never would see like a Bart Starr disrespect Vince Lombardi. True. Or or Bill Walton disrespect John Wooden because those guys were mentors, true leaders, 
where where he was just a jackass. Yeah. Seriously. One thing where they, they left me wanting more, and I don't assume they'll get back to this. Maybe they will. Yeah, I don't know. I hope they do. The one thing I, outside of the excitement, the one thing that, that didn't land for me is, and, you know, this was right in my prime, you know, spot NBA fandom when this season happened. And when Krause essentially, you know, was shown saying in those interviews, they signed Phil Jackson to that one-year deal. And then Phil Jackson, who I don't believe he would lie, I believe whatever Phil Jackson says, that Krause told him, if you go 82-0, and this is your last year. They never explained why, what the, the push was there. What the Was it just a friction? I get the rebuild, right? You had deals coming up. Michael's getting older. Scottie Pippen you know, was really upset at the beginning of that year. The, the guys were getting older. The, the other pieces were getting I get rebuilding the team. What in God's name would the reasoning be to take Phil Jackson and say no matter what you do, you're out the door, and they never explained that. I hope they get back to that because I don't know. Th- I didn't know that backstory with Phil Jackson before last night. I probably should have, but I didn't. Yeah, I never really knew the details either, to be honest with you. And you know, like you said, they never really explained anything. But just on the surface, it's power struggle. I, really simple as that in my mind. Probably. It, it might have been that simple. You know, they didn't talk about They talked about why Michael Jordan hated him. They talked about why Scottie Pippen hated him. They didn't say what the deal was. So I, I, I hope they get back to that. But they're advertising next week, kind of getting into going back to the, the rivalry with those bad boys, Detroit Pistons, at the end of the 80s and early 90s. And, boy, that was my prime when I, you know, 12, 13, 14 years old when I was really getting into it and my first exposure to that kind of stuff. So, Oh, no doubt. I was just coming off of the Lakers-Celtics right, rivalry yeah. with Magic and Bird tailing down then this one picked up and yeah it continued on the the nba um nostalgia if you will because i mean you know i was a bad nba fan from oh probably early 70s with uh really i remember chamberlain moving to the lakers and i believe russell was about done with the celtics but they were still tough but the willis reed Knicks, and so forth so right about then on and i really did not fade away from basketball basically until the michael jordan era was over with and then you know the product just disintegrated for me yeah that was pretty much the end of it you know early kobe kobe and shaq together I poked back in a little bit with with LeBron James in, in his early career, but the, the game just changed so much. And it, it, exactly, it, it, it's not necessarily. And then we can get into with the, you know, with the way teams are being constructed now. I don't like. It's just not a brand of basketball I, I really care for anymore. But boy, at those times, and it was just between the Knicks and the Bulls, and the Pacers and the Knicks, and the Bulls and the Pistons before that, just the Lakers and Celtics. You mentioned in the eighties. Well, I don't know if I necessarily miss the you could behead anybody who dared try to take a ball to the rim, but there was some physicality to it. There was, 
there, yeah. th- there was kind of men being men where where now we drive to the rim, we get there clean and throw it out in the corner for a three-pointer. I get it, analytics, it makes sense, but it, it's not as enjoyable to watch, and that's creeping its way down into college, and it's going to creep its way down into high school, so I guess I'm going to have to get used to it and then hope it comes back the, the other way. Yeah, and I don't know if it ever will, uh, the physicality and the um... – you know, just letting them play defense. You you see that in football. They're not being able to play defense. They want to brand the high-octane offenses and score at any cost. And I think it diminishes both of those sports, quite frankly. Yeah, yeah. So, so at least something to look forward to this weekend. Governor Wolf, if you're listening, please don't rule direct TV non-essential and come pull that uh, dish off my garage roof if you wouldn't mind give me one week I know he normally listens but he's probably busy I'm not sure if he's tuned in the last couple of weeks but hopefully he'll catch a replay well he better him and that that weird whatever they call the second in charge is that guy who's just a Twitter troll to you but we won't get into all that so you can tell Rick I'm following news now and I got opinions and I'm getting fired up yeah, I mean, you're following it closer than I am, so you actually, I'm sitting here thinking, wow, this is amazing. You can actually talk current events, and I don't have to cover for you. It's no wonder you're so angry following all this stuff all the time. Good God. <laughs> Get off my lawn. So, so we're getting closer, Rick. All the various you know major leagues and even college to a degree starting to kind of map out contingency plans obviously nothing set in stone but but curious just your thoughts the viability on some of these things I think something that is as set in stone as could possibly be I think is the simplest one and the one that makes sense with the PGA Tour saying they're going to start coming back first couple in mid-June I believe the first one being the uh what is it, the uh, Charles Schwab, June 11th down in Fort Worth, Texas. You know, absent a spike down there. Looks like they're opening up Texas now. I, I think that one works, right? You have no fans. You you naturally can social distance. I think the one thing they don't do that you're seeing on your local muni is they're probably going to actually make them put it in the hole and not pull, <laughs> pull the holes out <laughs> or flip them upside down. Where I think it's Virginia's doing that. They're letting them be open, but they're flipping the cups upside down. So you're basically playing uh, – croquet or something but it, it's better than nothing so i think that makes sense in, in as long as it's in certain areas and i think we're on track actually for some of those majors late summer and into into the fall yeah and i see no reason for it even if they don't have fans there's no reason in the world they cannot play you know some golf they're not going to be sitting on top they're not tackling each other right. they don't have to walk arm and arm down the golf course they're they're hitting a golf ball in it's 7,000 plus yards golf course. They can stay six feet away at all times, I'm sure. So I, I see no problem with that at all, quite frankly. And, you know, there's, there's been a lot of stink in our home state here, Pennsylvania, with the golf courses being closed. And, you know, quite frankly, they encourage people to go out, but – you know, golf of all things should be accessible. If you can stay away from somebody, golf should be one sport that you could do it at. I could understand bowling or, or say in a closed, you know, a closed building, of course, balls and shoes and all this kind of stuff. 
you can't stay away from people. The golf is a no-brainer to me. It's exercise, it's fresh air, and you can social distance. Yeah, I mean, what what any state, any surrounding states have done, look, what they'll tell you is they can't guarantee if you go out and play in a group, if you play in a foursome, that they'll maintain social distancing. I still, I believe there has to be some room for some self-control, for some, you know. Common sense. Yeah, you're, you're going to, we're going to have to trust you to a degree to adhere to this. But beyond that, it, it's even, it seems like overkill to me, but whatever. Flip the cup over. We don't pull the pin. Everybody gets in their own cart, or you have to walk. I mean, there, there's so many things they can do. You play with your own clubs. You play with your own ball. There, there's no reason you can't maintain social distance. I really think it's just not trusting people out in that foursome to maintain it. Again, that's self responsibility there. That so that that never made sense to me. In certain states, do it. I think didn't even New York just open the golf courses back up, or will be this week or something. I saw that story. So I I think we're getting there. I hope for that. But I I think that could be kind of the first. Boy, you know, I usually only watch the majors and or when Tiger is playing. Boy, I'm gonna be golf PGA Flieger here <laughs> the minute if that's the first one that comes back. So, so NHL, NBA, they're kind of just talking about NBA's kicking around. They, Vegas has been around from the beginning. Now they're saying Disney. They have that sports world. I, I forget what they call it down around Epcot down there, putting everything in one place. NHL talking about going to North Dakota and New Hampshire. Look, I guess if they have the testing and they can ensure everybody's healthy, makes sense. I, I My thought more on that with those two sports, even the NHL especially – with going into the playoffs, what do you think it's going to be like watching that with no crowd? Again, whether or not it's viable, it makes sense if it's viable, right? And they can keep all the players healthy. It all makes perfect sense. What I'm curious is the television product that we will consume irregardless. What do you think those two look like without fans? That I don't really know, Rick. I, I'm, I'm a strong proponent of the NBA and NHL scrapping the 2020 season altogether, or the, or the 1920, I should say, because I, I just think it's going to almost make a mockery of the championship in a way. I don't know really how they're going to finish the season uh, playing in, what, New Hampshire and North Dakota or South Dakota, whatever it is, when you have all these teams with games to make up because they, you know, in order to get, you know, Bettman has said in order to get the playoffs started, all teams have to at least have played the same amount of games because there's teams out there with three games in hand over some other teams that could make the playoffs. So I, I don't know what the what the format is or, or the time frame is. I'm just a little dubious about the whole thing. I don't know why they couldn't have, they have laugh tracks on sitcoms. Can't you have cheer tracks? <laughs> I mean, it would make sense at least for the, for the experience of watching it at home. I mean, my God, we watched the experiment with the WWE and these guys coming in and doing the, exact choreographed entrance that they do when there's 30,000 people in the arena and there's not a soul there. <laughs> and and it just looks ridiculous. And so why not enhance it somehow? Because, I mean, why would you have 
I mean, what are they going to do? Just play the same things on the jumbotron, like get loud, and there's nobody there to get loud. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I imagine they'd they'd skip that, but yeah, I, I kind of think the only sort sort of frame of reference I have to it is right before all these shut everything got shut down i believe it was the big east tournament was kind of the last one to do it maybe the big 12 the night before even before the acc played a game but some of them i believe it was the big 12 certainly and in the big east they were going ahead without fans and i remember watching those and thinking you know what you don't really notice but the bands were still there, right? The cheerleaders were still there. You could tell the networks. I think it was Fox Sports 1 had the Big East tournament. You know, they kind of changed their angles a little bit. You didn't see the crowd. You just saw the benches. The families were still allowed in. The families were behind the benches. But you had the band. The pep band was still there and the cheerleaders. And you didn't really notice, you know. So if you could create a visual of sorts like that, then I agree with you. Pipe noise into the broadcast. Hell, pipe noise into the arena. I don't care. The Colts have been doing it for 20 years if you listen to some people. Go ahead and pipe noise in. I I think – it's going to be jarring at first. I think we get over it real quick, right? I mean, if, if you to think about where you were and how we felt about this three, four weeks ago, now this is almost just normal now. It's not normal, but it's our normal now. We, we kind of adapt quickly. The, the thing with getting them played, I think to your point, it probably makes more sense just to shut it down, but there's TV money, there's contract obligations, things like that. I know it's not fair, but there ain't a damn thing fair in in this time of year in 2020. I say you just take the records or the amount of points if you're the NHL as they sit now, pick them up, and we go play the playoffs. It ain't fair to that team that's had three games to play and we're two points out, but guess what, dude? (laughs) This year is a little bit of a special circumstance. I hope they try it. I hope they do some wacky stuff. You you know what I mean? And you think about it, you could get this done relatively quickly and get more and more people out of town. You you don't need travel days off. The NHL is used to playing some back-to-backs. The NBA doesn't need these five days between, you know, getaway days like they do in their playoffs you play them every other day play them two in a row give them one off two in a row something to that effect there's a lot they can do I think at this point everything has to be on the table if they want to get it in it probably logically makes more sense just to shut it down this this is a time to experiment Rick because everybody is is starving for some sports action so yeah whack it up who cares let's get something going and who knows they may hit on something that was a real trigger like man this is really cool and if not so what you know the fans will be there next year yeah this year is just a throwaway everything's going to have an asterisk with it even any records any numbers if they do end up crowning champions we we all know it It, it's just different right and and i think we understand that it's not going to have the same cachet isn't a normal year, but, you know, in, in talking about it into your point with what you just said, I think the biggest opportunity there lies with baseball. And I, I heard as we look, they've got the two proposals out there, one to take it all out to Arizona. That, that seemed a little wacky. The one I do find interesting is everybody goes back to their spring training home. You basically have two professional baseball leagues. You have the Grapefruit League and you have the whatever what do they call it out in Arizona? Uh, Cactus League. Cactus League. I can't believe I just blanked on that. 
that's all you play, very limited travel. You you can keep things contained. You know, they've thrown things out. We're playing doubleheaders, playing two seven-inning games. And I heard Ron Darling interviewed on Tony Kornheiser's podcast last week, I believe it was. And that's what he said. And it doesn't get any more of an old-school, hardcore baseball guy than Ron Darling. And he said, look, there's been a lot of ideas on the table for years as we talk about trying to get these knucklehead millennials to pay attention to our game. If you can get something like this going, now's the time. You could do anything you want. You could clocks and, and this and that, seven-inning games, double-headers, anything you want to do, now's the time to do it because this year's going to be a farce anyhow. Anything you hit on, you keep, you put it into your game and it helps you. Anything that doesn't work, you say, what the hell's the difference? We're in the middle of a pandemic. We're, it was, we're just putting on a TV show. To hear this coming from baseball guys really resonated with me. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a golden opportunity for really all sports that have something to to play yet. NBA, NHL, baseball, golf. Um, I really don't know what you can do with golf. I mean, you basically have to play the tournaments. But, you know, baseball and hockey, like you said, we, you know, pump noise in. Dude, come up with something wacky. Um, it, it, it's a throwaway year. But, you know, getting back to what I said we were going to hit on earlier, you look at, remember some of the good old days, probably back when you were, you know, just coming of age and really getting into sports and everything. If you watched a, and I'm using people that I know, you know, their names, you know, Stephen A. Smith or whatever, you know, Colin Cowherd, so forth. When you heard these, you know, I'm using the, the quote unquote, you know, analysts, they come on here and they start rambling on about and pick a player. It doesn't matter. Wayne Gretzky, we'll talk about him. And if they said that Wayne Gretzky was disgruntled with the Los Angeles Kings when he was playing with them and he was out of Los Angeles the next year, you'd walk away convinced that Wayne Gretzky was leaving L.A. that year. Everything they said had credence, is my point. Their opinions on people, their predictions on people. My point is, with all the information out there, all these analytics that are available through a billion sites over the 10 years that we started in fantasy football and basically said, you know, this, this is just way too crowded. Nobody really pays much attention to these blowhards anymore. And I'm, I dare say the, the sports analyst, the age of the sports analyst is about over with because nobody agrees with them. They use them for mockery fodder. I mean, you, you get on Twitter. <laughs> look at this. Look at this comment by Colin Cowherd on Leonard Fournette last year or some, some nonsense, right? Where it doesn't matter if they were right 80% of the time. And I'm, I'm not disparaging anybody. They could be right 20% of the time, 80% of the time. What is found is the time that they're wrong, and it trends. And it's, and it's just a, a mockery over all the social networking. And I find that, yeah, and we've talked about this for years, just the total disrespect of what we like to call the trolls out there 
you remember when we predict, predicted C.J. Spiller was, <laughs> was a zero. And we were crucified. But we were right. Well, yeah. But it doesn't matter. You know what I'm saying? Because, it, I mean, I, I, just, I just really think that the whole age of this sports analyst where, like, they have their own show and what they say is really well-respected, it, it's really winding down. Yeah, and I think you see it because here's the the only th- guys you trust anymore, at least the only guys I trust, are the local beat writers. And most of them make you look young at this point. So right. I, I, I think there's two distinct things going on here, right? We'll start with the vortex of suck that it just is the social media. Every marble mouth jackass in the world has a voice now. And as we have proven, a couple of marble mouth jackasses can build up three or four thousand Twitter followers pretty easily and have a voice to the rubes and the boobs. You, you know what I mean? And so they're not breaking any news because they have no access to these players. They have no access to anything. All right. they have is your favorite word, your favorite phrase in the world, Rick, is hot takes. Hot takes, T-A-E-K-S, somehow. I I never did understand that one. So that's what they do. another pet peeve for another show. So we throw out hot takes, and then we just sit around and wait for somebody who has an actual following, who is respected, to make a mistake or to say something that, you know, the general BS Twitter consensus doesn't agree with, and then you just attack and you attack. You have nothing to base it on, but you attack. So there's that, but that, that goes on in the whole world. But look, the sports industry, ESPN specifically, but they, all of them are, they've done to this themselves as well. You know, mm-hmm. I, we talked last week about my stunning revelation that me realizing that the the actual news, what I consider the real news in this country outside of sports is like this. Everybody has a slant. Everybody has a side. We don't report the news anymore. We give a tidbit of news and then spend 48 minutes giving telling you what your opinion should be on that news because this is our opinion. The sports media does this now too. And I'm not even no going to the political side of it, which all these sports writers have done in, in recent years. But it's not good enough enough to say, you know, Dak Prescott was franchise tagged. It was Dak Prescott is franchise tagged, and then either he should be given a long-term contract, he is the greatest quarterback since Tom Brady, since Johnny Unitas, you name who, or I can't believe they franchise tagged him. They should have cut him. They should have traded him away. There's no news anymore, and it happens in the sports industry too. So now you have a, a sports industry they're Better to be first than to be right, right? That's kind of the way news in general works now, and sports, I think, is even worse. So they're doing that to themselves, and then they kind of have this mass of hundreds of million ombudsmen. How do you say that word? Ombudsmen, the people who used to fact check. Did I say that right? Don't laugh at me. (laughs) See, I can see him, and he's laughing at me. I wish you guys could see this. I don't know. It's just um, um, um. Anyhow, let's do this. They've got hundreds of millions of fact checkers who think they're experts and know nothing but somehow have a voice to the masses, and this industry has just cannibalized itself. And now, just like I found out with actual news, with sports news, you can't trust a damn thing you've heard. No, you really can't. It's it's awful. And you see all of these – they're almost like – 
these hot takes and everything, it, it, one of my pet peeves is Twitter is unpopular opinion. You know, Jameis Winston is greater than Lamar Jackson or some <laughs> some outlandish thing. That know? could only no, be in an unpopular. It's not an unpopular opinion. <laughs> it's just a stupid comment. Okay. Well, that and it can't be an unpopular opinion when nobody gives a crap about your opinion, right? Exactly. Yes. Yes, I, I agree. And but that is that is the age that we are in now. Everybody, and we've talked about this from the fantasy side when we were still in it. Everybody is an expert, and you could sit here. Um, going into a football season and say your top five quarterbacks are, and you just make up, make them up, you know, Drew Brees, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Ben Roethlisberger, and Phil Rivers, just throwing them out there. And if Matt Stafford happened to finish second, you know, then you're bombarded with nice take on excluding Matt Stafford from the top five. <laughs> I could have told you he was the top three, you know? Oh yeah, I'm sure. You know, go away, you rube. So yeah, but everybody is an expert and nobody wants to hear even news. They just want to a platform for their own unpopular opinions or hot takes. And like I said, I mean, getting back to the original point, I really think that, you know, this age uh, of these networks having these sports analysts. There's a lot less of these sports analyst shows now than there was years ago. And because nobody really pays a whole lot of attention to him anymore. Stephen A. Smith is almost a character of himself. It's just films of him yelling and screaming on Twitter is basically what it is. And what's frustrating with a guy like him, he's really smart. And he's really plugged in. And NBA players especially trust him. And he's always got the scoop. But it's become more about showing up Skip Bailey, even though they're not on the same show together, and putting on this act. He is a fantastic journalist. He's a fantastic television personality. But your phrase is perfect. He has morphed into a character of himself. And I don't know why. The network has to be driving this. I would watch him just just for what he can provide in terms of an analysis. And he's a guy who gets the inside scoop. If he gives me information, if I can take it with him not screaming at me, if he could just <laughs> give me the information, I trust what he says. But these guys all do it. They put him on with that dink Max Kellerman, who all he is is a hot T-A-E-K machine. That's all that jackass does. It's just it, it takes even good journalists and sucks them down, and it's, it's painful to watch. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, I long for the days of, you know, listening to Pat Summerall tell me that this putt on 18 is going to break right because it will. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Unpopular opinion. It looks like it breaks right. It'll go left. It'll go left. Yeah. All right. But I'll tell you what, speaking of Pat Summerall, uh, he used to broadcast the Masters. I was doing, we talked about uh, the, the Masters moving to November this year. So I got to thinking, you know, April in Georgia is always beautiful, always seems to be well, probably a good 90, 95% of the time, beautiful weather, you know, the, the flowers, the azaleas are blooming and so forth. 
So I, I did a little research, Rick, just to see what it may look like um, condition-wise to play the Masters in November. And um, I was looking at average temperatures just to start with. Average temperature in Augusta, Georgia in April, the average highs are 77, and the average low is uh, 55. Um, in November, the average high is over 10 degrees less. It's 66 point something. And the lows are 47, which is it's about 10 degrees either way. So it, now we're talking average temperature. So if you happen to get a bit of a cold front instead of a, a high of 67, you could be talking highs in the high 50s down there in November, which is a far cry from 75 or 80 degrees. Yeah, it makes a big difference. I wonder, you've been around a lot of pro golfers. How does temperature, outside of the obvious, does it affect, I don't know, ball flight? Does it affect, I'm sure it affects how guys prepare or how they perform, but, but what does that mean? Like if it's for 77 to 67, they're, they're going to be fine. Let's say they play the second round of the Masters and it's 48 degrees or it's 38 in the morning, the point. guys that tee off in the morning. How much does that change? change things yeah, for that, that. that's that's my point the, the the morning temperatures and the evening temperatures are could be high 40s and if there's a cold front move through they could be colder than that and now you're talking not necessarily so much with some of the younger guys but think about tiger woods with all his injuries True. and surgeries you know with with weather i mean god knows i'm getting old and, and now with your advancing in age and you've had surgeries and so forth you can feel it in that knee oh yeah and, and and so forth so i mean the older guys it will affect all right and, and then if the weather's a little say it's, it might not be raining because it doesn't really rain that much i checked the, the rainfall in november it's relatively dry month but you could be wearing extra clothes and which could hamper your swings and, and depending on the, the temperatures, if they're in the forties, it certainly affects the, affects the flight of the ball and, and the distance. Um, actually I checked wind direction and wind speed as well. Ooh, somebody and, did their homework this week. Well, I just thought, you know, because it, it's, what is it? The fourth month, the 11th is seven month difference. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, coming into, you're in mid spring as opposed to, Late fall, pushing right. winter. I mean, you're you know in late fall. So let's see here. Um, my, you know, I wish I could uh, see it here. Oh, here it is. The um, the average wind speed isn't all that different. It's um, roughly about anywhere between six and seven miles an hour, which that's an average speed. So if you have a windy day, you're gonna have a windy day. But what was interesting, Rick? was the average wind direction was south southwest and in november it's east which i thought was really strange and i have a map of augusta national and some of the holes that it really affects are the backside and of course you're familiar with the backside 10 11 12 right. you know talking amen corner um you know 11 12 and 13 
But 14, a very long, difficult par four. If it's a windy day, traditionally it could be in your face on 14 where it's not normally. Um, 12, same thing. Um, and that's a notorious par three anyway. Right. It, it more problems. It's actually would be with them on 12. And we know what happens when you blow over the green and them bunkers are up in the pine straw. And right. it's chipping back down towards the lake. So, I mean, this could really turn things around into something maybe we haven't seen before. Yeah, it actually makes me start to look forward to it and actually say, gee, yeah, I hope the weather is a little bad. Yeah, don't you? Now, don't you hope for 12, 15 mile an hour winds? Because it does, it, it makes it a whole different right. course. You don't know how the course is going to react to you know professional conditions with different weather you don't know how the player you know where a guy like a tiger woods has such an advantage it it could conceivably be a completely different course here it's probably going to be more difficult than it normally is just for for the unknowns right that everything's just a little bit different and these guys are so precise with everything we can do I was looking forward to it anyhow, but when you look at it in this context, it almost takes away the disappointment of not having the azaleas, of not having the birds chirping in the background. Right. It adds something, you know, all those things we romanticize about it that I was kind of upset I wasn't going to get in November. Now I say, but yeah, now the tournament's a hell of a lot more interesting. Yeah, really. And you look at like 2019 with that epic win by Tiger. Going in November, and maybe it is a little bit of a windy day and it's cooler, the advantage that the older veterans have, and you can go back for generations, your Hogan's and Nicholas and Palmer's and Tom Watson's all through Tiger Woods, they know Augusta by heart. They've seen it all there. Right. They've played in so many. And now where the physicality of maybe their limitations if the weather's colder or so forth, you know, there's a lot of little nuances that could really happen if the weather would turn a little bit. It gets windy and maybe it's 10 degrees cooler than normal. And maybe it's windy and the, and the golf course is hard because it's traditionally a dry month. And then all of a sudden the wind kicks up and the ball is flying farther. I mean, it, to me, I'm getting pretty excited about it now that I started looking into it. Yeah, that, and I think we would all just at this point love to fast forward to November. So let's just go ahead, <laughs> go ahead and do that. So Rick, what do we got? We got about fifteen minutes left here. I got a couple of uh, NCAA things I want to go all over. Right. The, the first one will be really quick, but I, and I think you don't want to spin back to the, the whole Corona thing. But I think it's a, an important story, and it, and it's really interesting. You know, one one kind of. You know, we, we've seen stories starting to leak out already. Kind of one of the unintended, well, not unintended, none of them are intended with all of this going on. But one of the consequences we're not going to think about in the NCAA, obviously we're disappointed that the NCAA tournament was canceled. We're worried about, you know, a delay or a cancellation of the upcoming college football season. But what this really means to the non-revenue sports, and I read a story this morning, Rick, by Barry Zerluga. I can't even say his name. I can't speak today. And you're the one who's drunk. It's really weird. I don't understand it. Barry Zerluga. I'm going to quit saying it. So old Barry wrote a letter, uh, an article today. (laughs) Where he just looked at Ohio State, Rick, 
For every game, home game, Ohio State would miss, the athletic department, just the athletic department, forget all the things that surround it, the athletic department loses between five and seven million dollars for every game Ohio State football is going to miss. If they lose all of the season, that is between forty-five and sixty million dollars lost to that athletic department. We've already seen certain schools, right? Was it Cincinnati already canceled their their soccer program? The football program, even way above and beyond the basketball programs, but these revenue-generating sports carry all these non-revenue-generating ones. Right. If we miss the college football season, NCAA and college athletics as we know it changes dramatically. So many sports are gone, and that is really sure. scary when you think it's about football it. football and basketball, and basketball has already felt it. And now, like you said, going into football, if something happens where that season can't play, and, and let's, let's not forget, if football is canceled, before football's over, basketball starts. Yeah, so it's gone too. So it's gone too. So now both revenue-producing sports are history, and I agree with you. It's, it changes the landscape like no – Nothing that we've seen before. Yeah, and I think, and and then as you look at it, as they start to cancel these other sports, outside of being terrible, right? These are great opportunities for great track athletes in high school, soccer players, softball players, on and on and on and on. Whatever, golfers, whatever it is. While it's not only bad enough you lose that, I think you lose entire athletic departments for, look, Ohio State will be fine. Penn State will be fine. Pitt will be fine in terms of the sports we would generally care about. I say that carefully in the context of this conversation, but honestly, the sports we would pay attention to. But what about Appalachian State? Appalachian State, East Carolina. Ball, Ball State, East Carolina, exactly. The, I mean, yes. They may Lots go of Division one schools. They may go away if these big-time schools, these big-time Texas schools, some billionaire could step up and fund the athletic department for a couple years till they get going again. So all these smaller, you could see a real contraction of Division One athletics. And then as you look at even what it means at the bigger schools, now I'm not smart enough to understand this, but something I was thinking about is you start eliminating programs and the Title IX requirements and what's going to be allowed to keep functioning as you get rid of non-revenue sports where the revenue sports being the obviously the male-dominated one, well, not male-dominated, men's football, men's basketball, some places women's basketball, but that's about it. You know, what does it mean for Title IX and meeting those requirements as you're having to close down sport on top of sport on top of sport is football and basketball even going to be allowed to operate if you don't have the operating budget to maintain enough of the other programs to meet Title IX requirements. This thing could get real messy real fast if football can't happen this year. Yeah, it really can. And um, let's just hope that this we're not talking about this come August. Right. Well, exactly. Let's say they find a cure or, or something happens or. Right. So but let's get on to, let's get on with the, um, you know, we wanted to hit on that and we're running out of time, but the NCAA, the transfer rule changes. Yeah. And I think that's what, th- this is interesting. It kind of dovetails right into my concern with this. So they're going to vote in May 
to allow Division One athletes to transfer one time without penalty, so essentially without having to sit out for a year. They're also looking to vote for letting players, you know, uh, profit off their likeness, their names, their things like that. So generally, no, without thinking about it, without talking about it too much, I agree with all of that, right? There's always the conversation, you know, these kids go there, they commit there, they're stuck there. The coach who recruited them and came into their mom's house and promised their mother he'd take care of them, he gets an offer for 78 cents more down the street, and he picks up and leaves, and there's nothing anybody can do about it. You know, they're they're an exploited labor force, all those things, and, and I agree with it. But what you worry about, you know, you already now, you look at this, you worry about athletic departments and athletic programs contracting and it getting smaller. What I don't like about this are are those very concerns. I don't want NCAA free agency. I don't want, you know, Joe Smith going to St. Joseph's, we'll throw it out, kind of a mid-level program, has some ups and downs, has a breakout freshman year. What's he going to do the next year? He's going to Duke. And then the next kid who does it three times over, he's going to Duke. And now everybody's at Duke because Duke, if you're in football, Alabama, you know, if these kids are that good, there's only going to be certain places they're actually going to benefit off their likeness if you have that. Plus, you're all going to transfer it into one place. You're going to take the competitive balance so far out of whack, and it pretty much already is anyhow in major D1 sports. I don't know what the solution is because as it is now is terrible for the players as it's going to be, could really be terrible for, for the viewer and for sports fans. Well, the NCAA did it to themselves and they're the, the whole thing is it's not necessarily in my mind, it's not necessarily just Duke's going to benefit or Alabama but it's going to be the power five conferences, right? Certainly, I mean, at a minimum, yes. It's going to be the power five, without question. It's going to be the ACC, especially in basketball. It's going to be the Big Ten and the SEC in football and basketball. The the Pac-12, certainly, in both sports, again. So, the, and what, what's the other one? The, the Big 12, I, I think I right. forgot that. Yeah. But... I, I'm, I'm with you. I don't think that this free agency, basically what it is, is student-athlete free agency is good for anybody except for the Power Five conferences. And I think it is a huge misservice to the whole NCAA because what does it do to the other, other conferences, number one? If you're let's, – let's stick with uh, basketball – if you're a butler, if you are not, you're Dayton, you know, some of these kind of schools, and you have a, a nice class of prospects, and all of a sudden you finish, say, there, maybe you have a class of three freshmen, and you happen to finish in the top 20. Well, all of a sudden, Bob Anderson, he, he goes to Duke, and, and, Jimmy Smith, he decides he wants to go to wherever, Wisconsin or Michigan State, and somebody else goes out to plays for UCLA, and now there's Dayton that has nobody left. Are they getting compensated for these guys? Right. And and even even so, it doesn't help their team now. What money doesn't buy them a tournament bid next year in a run of the title, which would mean 
furthermore recruits. You, you throw a national championship banner up in Dayton or Tulsa or some one of those places, get all of a sudden, I, I don't go in there. But they won't have any chance. There, there will be no chance unless they have lightning in a bottle with a, with a class of four freshmen and a, and a sophomore. Yeah, and and what it is, this is, I mean, this really is, isn't it, Rick, feel like a Sophie's Choice, though? Because as it's set up now is a mess, too, you know, the the way the kids are exploited. We'll, we'll keep it to the transfer, and we can work the, the likeness in the whole money aspect into it, probably on another show. is We're almost out of time here. But you look at already the disparity, obviously, between the Power 5 programs and the smaller ones, obviously the ones we can see. But even look at a school like Vermont, right, who's consistently good in basketball. But the problem is they kind of cannibalize themselves there. They're good, so nobody will play them in non-conference. You know what I mean? So they make a nice little run. They give somebody a scare. They win a game in the NCAA tournament. Then they kind of disappear again. They can't get any good games to get any better. It's just, it, boy, it's really, really a tough situation. You know, I, what it really I'm, is. What I like to see is there was this kid out of Michigan. I'm blanking on his name off the top of my head. I should have written it down. But who he's going to go right to the G League. You, you know what I mean? And, and pitch recruiting a kid, a center out of uh, – out of Canada same thing he's deciding in the next two weeks between a couple college offers and going pro going to the G League I think this is the opportunity right get rid of these dumb rules you want to bring the XFL back take these kids who would otherwise be almost ready now going in as freshmen let them go play in the XFL you know the few that could make it along with other professionals let them make some money maybe that evens things <laughs> evens things up a little bit the product's going to be just about as good especially in basketball and don't you think in these power 5 conferences that there should be some sort of equality across the conference meaning let's face it if you have football players say at pick a small school and Appalachian State, I keep throwing them out there. And they want to transfer. Well, they're not transferring to Vanderbilt. No. They're going, they're going to Auburn. They're going to LSU. They're going to Alabama, right? But if they say, okay, Alabama, you've got your transfer. Now everybody else needs one. You, you know what I mean? You can't have – I mean, how can one school – I don't know. I mean, I, obviously they can but to me, I just think you do a disservice not only to the small conferences, you do a disservice to the Power Five conference because only the top half of these conferences are going to get any transfers as well. You hit on something that could be a lot of fun. Well, I'm going to jot this down, Rick. We're going to re-explore this next week because we only got about a minute and a half left. But I like that idea. If you want to bring in a major transfer target in your Alabama, there then becomes almost an expansion draft on your roster. <laughs> from the remainder of the conference how fun would that be it'd be awful for the kids <laughs> but the, the, uh, yeah, he can't be a third string water kid either he's gonna <laughs> you know it's gotta be a value player it'll be like that nhl thing for vegas that they slanted right. everything the wrong direction and put them directly in the stanley cup Exactly. That would be a lot of fun. So I think we're going to put a pin in that. Just that that'll be a good. It'll all be nonsense and meaningless, but that's what we do, and it'll be fun. So hey, thanks for joining us this week. We are going to keep plugging along as long as we we can. Hope everybody stays safe and healthy. 
You can follow us at Asylum Football on Twitter. If anything you want to hear us talk about, it's just sports123 at gmail.com. And, of course, follow everything over at 12-Ounce Sports, 12OunceSportsNetwork.com, at 12OZ Sports. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay inside. Until next time, we'll see you.